Hey guys, welcome back. This is episode 19 of Real Estate Investing in New York with me, Christina Kremitis. And in this episode, we are talking all about the mortgage approval process. I do have a guest with me on the show today for you guys. Mike Goldberg is a loan officer at Freedom Mortgage. He's an excellent mortgage lender, a great resource for you guys. I've put together several questions for him that we are going to be talking about today. And I'm really excited for him to get a chance to talk to you guys. So stay tuned. We're covering everything here. Welcome back guys and thank you for being with me for another episode of my real estate investing series. I am really excited to get into this episode with you guys today because it is about such a critical part of the home purchase process. When you are beginning the process of a home purchase, the first step you always want to take is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Getting pre-approved involves speaking to a bank, a mortgage lender, and seeing what you can actually afford. A lot of people are surprised that they are pre-approved for more than they thought they would be, and sometimes it's the opposite. Either way, you need a mortgage pre-approval letter in order to start placing offers on properties that you like. So there really isn't that much of a point to shopping if you're not in a position to place an offer if you see something that you like because by the time you get the pre-approval letter, the property might be taken. Getting pre-approved for a mortgage is really not entailed. It's not that difficult. Some people put this part of the process off just because they don't necessarily know where to start. So if you're considering purchasing a property or if you're just interested in the steps of the mortgage pre-approval process, you are going to have a lot more clarity by the end of this episode. And we also touch a little bit on how COVID has affected the mortgage pre-approval process at the end of the episode. So with that said, I am going to bring in Mike Goldberg. Hey, Mike. Hey, Christina. How are you? Good. So tell our audience, please, a little bit about what you do and your company. So my name is Michael Goldberg. I am a loan officer at Freedom Mortgage. We are a mortgage lender, direct lender, and we lend money and do mortgages on residential properties throughout the country. So in the beginning of this episode, in my introduction to our listeners and viewers, I explained the purpose of the mortgage approval and what the mortgage pre-approval process is. But I would love for you to tell us why getting your pre-approval letter from a bank is actually the most important first step that you should take in your home buying process. Sure. Um, getting a pre-approval definitely should be your first step. It's going to lay the foundation for um, how the process goes and, and how easy or hard it goes in the future. What we're looking to accomplish when we're doing a pre-approval are really two things. Number one, we're reviewing your, your documents and we're seeing what you can get approved for based on your credit, your income, your assets. But more importantly, the goal of the first consultation and pre-approval is to focus on where the client's comfort zone is and where the client's comfort lies as far as a mortgage payment. Just because a client can qualify for a million dollars, $2 million, whatever the number is, doesn't necessarily mean that they want to spend that money. So it's twofold, twofolded and um, in being that we want to see what they are qualified for, but also where their comfort zone is. So what are the 
basics that you ask a client for when they do ask you to start the pre-approval process? What are the basic documents that you ask for? And how long does it usually take to get a pre-approval letter? Sure. So the basic documents that we will need to see are your W-2s for the last two years, your tax returns for the last two years, your three most recent pay stubs, your two most recent bank statements, and we'll also pull a tri-merge credit report. Uh, and that covers basically everything when you're looking for um, a pre-approval. Pre-approval process, once we have all the documents and we have the initial conversation, should take no longer than 24 hours. Cool, so it's pretty quick. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of my clients, when I start working with them or when someone considers starting the home purchase process, they will often say that they've obtained a pre-qualification letter that may have come from a bank or it may have come from the internet. So what is the difference between a pre-qualification letter and a pre-approval letter? The main difference is that a pre-approval states that the bank or the loan officer has reviewed all your documents. So you can get a pre-qualification by simply calling up a lender or a bank and just giving them your information verbally. But a pre-approval really states that they've reviewed all of it and went a little deeper as far as the process is concerned. Got it. Okay. And then to take it a step further, what is the difference between a pre-approval letter and a commitment letter? Sure. Sure. A pre-approval letter is a general letter uh, to say that, that you are approved based on your credit income and assets, right? A commitment is when you have an application out with the bank for a specific property. It's tied directly to a property. And then once an underwriter has reviewed all the documents that you've submitted, along with a complete application and an appraisal, um, then a commitment is issued on behalf of the bank. Got it. So a commitment letter comes much later in the process. It's one of the final steps of the purchase process. So you obtain your pre-approval letter and then you go out shopping for properties. Now you really know, once you have your pre-approval letter, you really know what you're approved for. You know what your monthly budget can be. You know what you can go up to as far as that's concerned. And finally, the commitment letter comes after the entire file goes through underwriting, you've identified a property, the bank has approved you as well as the building, and it's one of the final steps, right? That's correct, yeah. Pre-approval is, is basically used to show the agent and the seller that you've been vetted and you've been reviewed by a loan officer in terms of being a candidate for a loan. A commitment really entails a specific property and is much more detailed, but ultimately um, it's an approval based on what you submitted for a specific property. Thank you. Can you tell us what are the differences between a fixed rate mortgage and an adjustable rate mortgage? And if there is one that you would recommend over the other, in an environment like the one we're currently in, in this pandemic environment? Sure. The difference is, is that a fixed rate mortgage is, is fixed throughout the entire amortization period. So if it's a 30-year fixed loan, 
the rate will be fixed in for that entire time. Uh, an adjustable rate mortgage is um, that there is a period of time in which after that time elapses, the rate will adjust. The way you would consider choosing between a fixed rate um, and an adjustable is really a personal decision. Um, if you know you're going to be in a specific property for, um, for a short period of time, it's at least worth entertaining the idea of an adjustable rate, right? Um, if you know it's going to be more long-term, you may want to consider the fixed rate gives you more security and long-term stability. So what would be the draw to me choosing an adjustable rate mortgage? Do the adjustable rate mortgage products tend to have a lower interest rate? It depends, but that would be the allure. That would be the reason you would choose the adjustable rate in the first place. If you knew you were staying in a place for a short period of time and on your particular scenario, if the adjustable rate uh, is lower than the fixed, you can choose that knowing that you're going to get out before it potentially adjusts. If it's close or similar, then you might want to consider taking the 30 year because it gives you more stability. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. Only part of the mortgage approval process is vetting the purchaser, their credit, their finances. The other half of the process is actually approving the building itself where the client wants to purchase. What does the process of getting building approval entail? As we've dealt with many times, when you're applying for a mortgage in a condo or co-op, it's not just the finances of the borrower, it's also of the building, right? The bank wants to know that the building is stable in order to allow financing in it. Um, and it could depend on the type of building you're looking to get approved, but ultimately the bank is going to want to see a questionnaire filled out, which has some basic information on how many units there are. Is there a single entity that owns a specific amount of units? Are the HOA fees in arrears? Uh, things like that. And there, there are some other questions on there. They'll also want to see, is there enough money in reserves? If anything should happen, um, they want to see that they have the correct insurance in place and to look at the budget as well. Awesome. So they're really doing a thorough look into the health and status of this building before just granting a mortgage there. And what's the reason for that? Is that because it's, is it just to simply mitigate risk for the bank? Yeah, it's, it's making sure that the loan that's going to be given is is um is a stable one cool got it for our next question what are the main differences between a mortgage that you would get for a primary residence meaning that the person is going to live in the property versus a mortgage that you would get if you are an investor or someone who's looking to put a tenant into the property so there are a handful of differences when it comes to how the bank looks at a primary residence borrower versus an investment property. 
The main one that most people are going to focus on is the down payment restrictions. You have much more flexibility when you're purchasing a place that you're going to move into or that you're going to occupy. If you're purchasing a investment property, you're going to have to put a large down payment, typically 20% or more, depending on the type of property it is. So that's the main one. Um, the bank will look at it differently as far as how they qualify a, a potential borrower, but ultimately the way it's going to affect a client of yours, Christina, is how much they're going to have to put down. Got it. Understood. Are there, do there tend to be different interest rates between those two mortgages? Definitely. The bank is always going to look at an investment property as a more risky loan and they tend to have higher interest rates. Got it. And is it more difficult to qualify for an investor type of mortgage product? I wouldn't say more difficult. I just say a little different. We have to calculate things a little bit differently, but ultimately we're going to go through the same process of reviewing the credit, the income, the assets, all the same stuff. Got it. Okay. So it doesn't seem, so if someone's interested in, in considering, it doesn't seem like something that's too daunting. It's definitely worth exploring. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about the different types of employment. Can you tell us if there are differences in the approval process for someone who is employed full-time as a W-2 employee at a company versus someone who is self-employed? Sure. The bank is definitely going to look at the income a little bit differently when it comes to a salaried employee versus someone who's self-employed or, or owns their own business. Um, generally, for someone who's self-employed, the bank's going to want to see the last two years tax returns, both personal and business, um, as well as where they are year to date. Usually, they'll ask for a profit and loss if you're in the middle of the year, just to see that the business is still on pace to do the same type of income that it did in the previous tax year. Um, other than that, the, um, the process will be very similar when it comes to the other aspects, credit and, um, and assets as well. Good to know. All right. So now for a whammy of a question, I think it is because everyone finds this extremely confusing. And even I, after working in the industry for a few years now, sometimes when I'm trying to explain this concept to my clients, my words will get jumbled. So can you <laughs> please help us understand? We want to talk about the bank appraisal process. What is the bank appraisal? What are the implications of the appraisal? And how does the appraised value of the property affect the loan approval process? Sure. So as you correctly pointed out, the appraisal is a huge part of the mortgage process. So an appraisal is an assessment of value based on a certain criteria that the bank uses. The bank is going to look at what's called comparables, and those are properties that are similar in size that have been sold usually in the last three to six months within a certain radius of the property. Now, if it's in a building, a condo or co-op, they're going to first look at units that are sold within the building to directly compare to the property uh, that's being appraised. Now, ultimately, it will be assigned a value based on certain adjustments in condition, size, and a bunch of other factors. Um, and that's really what the appraisal 
is. Um, the second part of your question was how can it affect the purchase price of your transaction? Well, in a perfect world, the appraised value and the contract price are a match. But in certain circumstances, it can come in either higher or in other circumstances, it can come in lower, which presents a problem in your transaction. What usually happens from there is some sort of renegotiation on the purchase price between both buyer and seller. So let's say I'm taking out a loan for 80% of my property value. I'm putting down 20% and I'm taking a loan out for 80%. Mm -hmm. Let's say the property is a million dollars. Great question and, and it's a great point to bring up. If a property appraises lower than the contract price, the bank is going to base its lending on the lower of the two. So again, if you were borrowing 80% of a million dollars, but the appraised value is now at 900, the bank is going to lend you 80% of 900, not a million. And then if we still want to proceed with the transaction, given the fact that we were hoping to get 20% of the contract price, but now we got 20% of the appraised price, which is a lower dollar amount than what we were originally going for. What can we do if we still want to proceed with the transaction? The buyer, the borrower is allowed to uh, overpay, so to speak, for the property. They're allowed to make up the difference with their own money as long as um, you know, everything is transparent. Uh, there's nothing stopping them from covering the difference between what the appraised value is and what the contract price is. Got it. Okay. So pretty much where that difference lies, whether you're getting 80% of a million versus 80% of the 900,000, what that difference is, is what the purchaser would need to provide with their own money to make up the difference. That is correct. It would be on the borrower to come up with the difference. Or it could be renegotiated with between buyer and seller, which, which happens from time to time. Yes, I've seen it go a few different ways. Sometimes the purchase price, especially now with COVID, we've been seeing appraisals come in a little bit lower than people are willing to pay for certain types of properties. So when COVID hit, certain properties, let's say in Brooklyn, in maybe even new new interesting neighborhoods in Brooklyn that people now have their eyes on with outdoor space became extremely coveted. And not every scenario had comparables that were able to support the price that the clients were willing, the buyers were willing to pay for these types of properties. And in those cases, a lot of those people said, it's fine. I understand that I'm paying a little bit more than maybe a similar apartment went for last year, but they still wanted to do it. And they were willing to pay out of pocket to get that done. Yeah, it's not uncommon. If a buyer is motivated to, to purchase a certain property um, and it under appraises, there's a lot of circumstances and instances where they'll cover the difference because of, you know, non-monetary reasons. They love the neighborhood. You know, they want to be around family. I'm sure there are many other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And then alternatively in um, Greenpoint recently, I worked on a deal where we'd split the difference with the seller. So the appraisal came in low. We asked the seller for the funds to make up the difference and we agreed to split the cost. 
So there are so many different options that, you know, if you do really like the property, you can still proceed with the transaction. It doesn't have to make it, it doesn't have to kill it. No, if you have the right team on your side and the right attorneys, the right uh, agents, and it's certainly not a deal killer. Okay, and for our final question, how has COVID affected the mortgage approval process? Well, the good news is, is that we are still lending money and we are still approving loans every day um, for many, many people. And while when COVID first hit, there were a lot of hiccups and a lot of hurdles, um, I think by now we've worked out all the kinks as far as uh, production and as far as just logistics in general. And we've gotten pretty much back to normal turn times and normal approval times. I would say that the important thing to, to realize now is just expectations. And this comes with a strong team, with a strong real estate agent and a strong attorney. If you have good communication with your banker, um, as long as you're setting the right expectations between parties, I think everything is okay. I just think that um, everyone has to be realistic and, and knowing that things are not exactly the same as they once were, but as long as everyone has that open line of communication that we can still get mortgages done and get approvals done in a timely fashion you know, with, with little hurdles and, and, and as smooth as possible. Yeah, and I haven't had any situations where my clients couldn't get a loan because of anything related to COVID. I had a couple of clients who stopped searching for an apartment, but really it was them that initiated the disinterest um, or feeling like it's not the right time. They didn't get to the point of, of you know, placing offers and getting offers accepted and putting a file through to you know just to get denied so that makes sense I, I, I think that your answer was very spot on as far as you know if you're a working person if you would have met the criteria to get a mortgage before covid you're going to be just fine it. now yeah that's i think that's the i think that's the the takeaway is, is don't let that stop you if you yeah. really want to buy a home and you're financially ready and you're emotionally ready and we're here to help Great. I feel good after this. I, I feel like the questions that you answered for us today were so helpful, super relevant. I think we covered all the basics. So let's say that we have listeners here or viewers who have further questions, or if they would like to reach out to you specifically with their own scenario, maybe they're looking to start the process themselves. Where can they reach you, Mike? Sure. The best way is definitely my cell phone number. And um, I guess you could put the link below um, that has all my information, but I do respond to emails, of course, but the best way to get me is definitely directly on my cell phone and we can set up a consultation where we can review everything and hopefully get you started on the process. Yes, definitely. You are so responsive on the phone. It's amazing. And that's why I love Thank you. That's why I love referring my clients to you as well, because you want to make sure that you're working with someone that is going to prioritize your file and be over communicative 
it just makes all the difference in the process versus finding out too late if there was something that we could have fixed sooner. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And I uh, look forward to more of the, uh, the interviews. Thank you, Mike.